And let's turn to God's Word, to the book of Romans. We're looking through uh, that book, and we're at Romans chapter 1 from verse uh, 28 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And I'll read the whole of this section. It's on page 1129. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, this section has a beginning and an end and 21 points in the middle. So I hope you've got your packed lunches. Because um, <laughs> I was looking through this and, and I, was, I just thought I'll go through every single one of these and you could almost do a sermon on them all. Um, but when you read it, just for those of you who are visitors, maybe you don't know Romans very well. Romans is a letter written, to, written by Paul to the Romans, to the people in Rome. And it is a, um, it's a letter in which he begins by talking about who he is and the good news he has to bring to them. And then he, he starts off with what appears to be bad news because he describes their culture and he says that in Rome and in the Greco-Roman world, and uh, as we saw in our world today, God's anger is being revealed or God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Because what people do is they have a knowledge of God, but they suppress it. And he talks about how God has given us a knowledge in the creation. Uh, later on, he's going to talk about how God has given us a knowledge in our own hearts. But they, he then talks about what happens when we reject the knowledge of God. And uh, he's, the previous verses, he's talked about how we try to remake humanity. So God made us male and female. God gave us um, sexual desires. And we turn that around and we try to remake humanity. And um, I know that for some of you who are older, this is a very confusing world. Can you imagine what it's like for the kids who are growing up in it? Because most of you, when, when you went to school, there was like boy and girl. And if you learned French, it was Jean-Pierre and Marianne uh, and, and so on. Or German, Hans and Hilda or whatever. And that's how you did it. Well, today, you're going to need to have 56 names because there's 56 different genders. Uh, you think, how is that even possible? It's not. But that's what people are being taught and that's what he says in the culture, that, that's what's happening uh, in the culture. And he says, God gave them over. Uh, he said, God didn't come and zap them with lightning, but what God said, okay, you have it your way. The kind of Burger King religion, you have it your way and see what happens. And then this is what happens. This is what happens when we reject God. And I, I want us to, we, we are going to think about this, but I, I want to back off just a little bit. And I want to say that... Um, isn't the world full of really good things? You know, there's a tendency you're going to read this and go, oh, everything's so miserable. No, it's not. The world is full of fantastic things. You have so many things to be thankful for. Uh, last night, we drove out to Aleth and went to Lands of Loyal. 
And that's something to be thankful for. And good food is something to be thankful for, even when you can't eat the really, really good food. <laughs> but it's good, something to be thankful for. The greenery, you're sitting in that hotel or whatever, and you look out, and the greenery is fantastic. All this rain, you think, oh, this terrible rain. No, this rain is wonderful. Because, because of the rain, then it's not an arid desert. And then you drive back, and it's just beautiful. And never mind drive, one day try cycling or even walking. It's just stunning. Just maybe one day go from this church and walk up to uh, Balgay Hill. Just walk through. It's just stunning. It's beautiful. And there are so many things in this world that we can give thanks for in terms of the creation, in terms of the gifts that we receive. Um, Somebody gave us in the office an espresso machine. We are thankful for that every day. Uh, That's because it's it's just a wonderful thing. There, There are... You know, Christians are not to be people who walk around with a life of thanklessness. In fact, one of the problems Paul says is that they, they understood, people understood about God, but they weren't thankful for what God has done. So there are so many wonderful things in this world. Yes, but, and the but is the Manchester bombing or what's gone on in London this morning, as some of you may or not have heard, but another seven people have been killed in a in a terrorist attack, in a place that many of us have walked over, uh, London Bridge. You say, yes, there's that. Ah, but then people go, yes, but there was the Manchester bombing. But isn't it wonderful? They're holding a concert today, and it's one love. And isn't it fantastic? And this is the real spirit of humanity. And it's just a few people who are kind of aberrant and, 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 and wrong but, you know, we have the spirit of Manchester or we have the spirit of humanity and, and we're all together. And whenever a terrorist attack happens, people go, you know, hashtag. And even non-Christians or non-religious people go, hashtag pray for. Or we're going to put the flag of whatever country or the symbol of whatever city that's being attacked. And I had a, a friend who just commented this morning, I'm fed up with all this just fed up with people saying we stand with what does that mean and that's true what does it mean and I'm sorry but taking people to a one love concert these things should drive us to prayer and to repentance and instead you say well that's fine but listen if humanity is all that great how come that in this charity concert for the victims of this terrible massacre that there are at least 10,000 people who fraudulently tried to get tickets by claiming to be there. See, the problem is, there are so many wonderful things in the world, but it's messed up, not because God made it that way, because we make it that way. And that's what Paul deals with here. And we're going to go through this, and, and, and I hope that you'll see. Now, I'm going to offer a very, very simple challenge. Anything that <coughs> that's said here, you think it's slightly over the top or you think it's wrong, speak to me at the end because I, I, I really, I, I, f- I find it difficult and you can help me to understand how anyone would deny what Paul says here. So let's go first of all, verse 28. He talks about they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. It's what we call a degenerate mind. And Paul uses here language of the blacksmith who puts the red-hot steel, takes it out 
of the furnace and tests it to see whether he approves it or disapproves it for use. And he plays on words and he uses, he says, basically, human beings, what human beings have done is they've judged God. And they've said, no, we don't think it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. We can do without God. We can live without God. We can have our life without God. Do you know what the word secular means? Literally, without God. So, we want a secular society, one without God. You can be religious if you want, that's fine, in the same way as you can be a Trekkie or you can do line dancing or whatever it is. You can go to knit and natter, that's fine. We don't care, but our society should be run without God. In the words of Alistair Campbell, in terms of politics, we don't do God. Well, what happens? The mind which rejects God does not think straight or rationally or morally and so then behaves in such a way as that mind itself becomes distorted. And what happens then is that our good relationships as created by God are destroyed and as those relationships are destroyed, that becomes the world's problem if you like. So I will guarantee that there isn't a single person here for whom the number one problem is not relationships and the difficulties we have in relationships. Because when I told the children about obeying your parents, that's great, but you know, of course, that there are complications. What if your parents tell you to do something that are wrong? What if your parents are abusive? What if your parents don't care about you? Some of you here will have experienced a harsh and hard and unloving parent and so when you hear obey your parents, it's just, whoa, how, how does that work? And it, I, I would argue that, you know, for most of us, it struggles within our relationships. Some of you are going to work tomorrow, and it's not so much the work, it's the boss. Or it's not so much the work, it's the people around you. You know that if you've got a good team around you, you're going to, that work is so much more enjoyable. Everything's tied up with people. It's like the teacher who once said to me, I love teaching. It would be fantastic if it wasn't for the pupils. Um, you know, and, and the social worker, I'd have a great job if it wasn't, any, wasn't for the people. You know, or the minister, fantastic job without a congregation. Well, no, we don't think like that. But people just get in the way of things. We get in the way of things. So what Paul does here is he's saying that this is what happens when society departs from the creator's intention. Now, the interesting thing is he's going to list these things, and don't worry, we're not going to go into detail in every one of them. And some people would say, well, Paul's been a bit over the top. But I'm sure many of you are Latin scholars and Greek scholars, and you like reading the Latin classics, the Roman classics. You read the Latin writers and the Greek writers of this time. Paul is mild compared with them, their critique of their own culture and their own society. So he's not exaggerating at all. I like what John Stott says about this, this verse, when he says that when we do not see fit to retain the knowledge of God, God gives us over to an unfit mind, not just, as in the previous verses, to sexual immorality, but, says Stott, to a whole variety of antisocial practices which ought not to be done and which together describe the breakdown of human community as standards disappear and society disintegrates. 
So that's why you lock your door at night. That's why you can't say to your 12-year-old daughter, no, it's okay to walk through the park at night. That's why if you were to go to London today, some of you would, I would, instinctively think, I wonder, you know, who's, what, what could happen? That's why we're very suspicious of other people's motives. That's why we don't trust politicians. So many different things. The standards disappear and society disintegrates. So then from that, verse 29 through to verse uh, 31, Paul lists these 21 things. Now, you'll notice that they are the opposite of what a Christian is told to do. So, for example, and uh, as we go through them, I'll just mention that wickedness, the openness of wickedness is holiness. They split into groups. The first, of the, the first four, wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Wickedness, holiness, evil, good, greed, generosity, depravity, wholeness. Do you know this? Your insurance policies would be a third of the price, half the price of what they are if it wasn't for dishonesty, greed. I remember um, we had a wee uh, accident at the manse. There was uh, some, some rain came in and the painter decorator came around and he said, oh, I fixed that. I said, how much? He said, 100 pound. Unless it's an insurance job, 2,000. And we'll do, we'll do the whole thing for you. We'll get everything. You know, we'll do all the wallpaper and everything. We'll do the lot. It's just incredible, you know. Why do you think insurance premiums are so high? Because they have to factor in dishonesty. In terms of uh, so many other things as well, we see that greed coming in. Um, depravity. He uses a really interesting word for depravity here because it's someone who's hardened in a corrupt course of life by custom and habit. Not just somebody who does something wrong, but someone who comes hardened. Now, let me explain how this works. It's very simple. Think of it in a slightly different way. Remember when there was an attack on uh, the Houses of Parliament and five people were killed and someone was stabbed and everyone was shocked and horrified and it was on the news for a week and things closed down and just terrible, terrible. And then there's the bomb in Manchester. And now there's this attack in Westminster. You know what happens is we get used to it. And there'll come a point where these things happen, we go, it's terrible, and things just carry on because you get used to it. And it's the same thing happens with sin and how sin works in your life, is you do something and the first time you do it, you think, this is really terrible, this is really wrong. And then the second time you do it, you think this is terrible and it's wrong, but you don't think it's for so long. And then the third time, and then the fourth time, and then the fifth time, and you become hardened. And that's the word that he uses here. You become hardened in a corrupt course of life by custom and habit. The opposite of that kind of depravity is wholeness. It's, it's where we are acutely aware. The irony is the closer you are to God, the more you will be conscious of evil. Because it will hurt you in the same way as he can't look upon it. It's so offensive to him. So we've got these four. Then he's got five sins that, are, that they are full of. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. And these are all about human relationships. The opposite of envy is honoring others. Envy, of course, is just being jealous of somebody, jealous of what they own, 
jealous of their gifts, um, jealous maybe even of who they're married to or whatever. And our society, I believe, encourages envy. Why? What do you think advertising is intended to do? It's designed to make you envious. You know, I look and I've, you know, got my iPhone here and it's great and it's brilliant and it's got a big screen and some of you have just got the wee screen. So tough, you know, envious. You've got the big screen. Oh, no, that's the wee screen. <laughs> you got the wee, I got the big screen, see? And you, you look at it. Now, if I went back to the wee screen, I'd just be so devastated, you know, which is just crazy. But people... We, get, we, we do get envious, and that's what it's designed to do. And the opposite of envious is honoring others, rejoicing that good things happen to other people, not being snippy about it, just being glad to truly praise and honor others. They murder. The opposite of murder is life. Strife. The opposite of strife is peace. Deceit. The opposite of deceit is honesty. I um, take a great interest, sadly, in politics and the election and so on, but I'll be so glad when it's over. I'm so fed up with it. But one of the things I can absolutely tell you is um, I do this fact checker thing and all this, and it is actually quite difficult to find a politician who doesn't lie in some way or other and get caught out. And some of it's quite blatant. It just amazes me that people think they can get away with it because it's all on television and the internet and elsewhere. You just want somebody who's honest. You know, it's like your car. Sometimes people say, you're new to Dundee, and you say, where can I get my car repaired? Well, there are, if an honest mechanic is worth their weight in gold. You know? Uh, 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 actually, an honest doctor as well. And actually, an honest, an honest minister. There are dishonest ministers. You know, it's such a... Fine quality, and yet society deceit. The devil is the father of lies. It seems to be so prevalent. And then the opposite of malice is kindness. Then he uses two words for two very interesting sins that I would associate with gossip. Um, he talks about whisperers behind doors, really, that they are gossips. And that's the, the word is whisperers behind doors. They're the kind of people who say, even Christians, can I just have a wee word with you? Did you hear about and saying things? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of going into a room and having people look at you and, and you're thinking, am I, am I not dressed properly? You know, you, you're a man, you look at your zip, you know, you just, there's something, you just think, what's, what's going on here? Why they look at me so strange? And it's because when you, just when you walked into the room, that was at the point where they were talking about you. And they weren't saying pleasant things. Now, they're not saying it, they're not going to say it to your face. And that's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. Whisperers behind doors. The opposite of that, people who encourage and build others up. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful Again, if we go back to politics, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had politicians who actually praised one another and didn't try and get our votes by... That's the one thing I hate in all this election is the bitterness and the hatred and, and trying to demonize people. But that can happen in so many ways. Whisperers behind doors. It can happen at work. It can happen in home. It can happen... All of us can do it. 
The other words he uses, slanderers, is the idea of stabbing someone in the back. You know, the kind of person who comes up to you and says, oh, it's just great to meet you. You just really admire what you're doing. And then as soon as you leave, they're on the phone to someone. You'll never guess who was in to see me. And my goodness, you know, they're just horrendous. And so you say to their face that they're wonderful behind their back. You say that they're horrendous and you stab them in the back. Well, Paul says that's what we do. When we reject God, we we bring in all these kinds of things. There are then four sins of pride. There are God haters. He says this is why they do it. They are God haters. Um, The opposite of that, of course, is a God lover. It is interesting that so many people will say that, uh, you know, I just don't believe in God. And yet, uh, Andy Bannister is here, he and I both do a lot of this kind of work where we come across people who say that they don't believe in God, but their motto is, there is no God, and I hate him. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense in what's supposed to be the rational world, the oasis of clear thinking. But that's, they're God-haters. They've rejected the knowledge of God, and yet they hate him. And they're insolent. Insolent, and, and a word here that we would get the word hubris from One man describes it this way, one who behaves with humiliating and unconscionable arrogance to those who are not powerful enough to retaliate. Treating people like dirt. You see that, obviously, in slavery, which was prevalent in Rome at this time, but you see it in other ways as well. So, for example, if any of you have ever had a job serving people as a waitress or waiter, are you allowed to say the two differences or is it all the same? I don't know. Um, it's a confusing world. But if you ever had that kind of job, one of the things that you will almost guarantee is people are incredibly rude to you. Not all people, but it often happens. Our Emma Jane um, worked down in the ice cream place in uh, Broye Ferry. And you know, every day, you know, there'd be people who there'd be people who'd just be completely obnoxious. Why? They think because they're giving you three pounds for an ice cream, they have a right to treat you like dirt or you're just working in a shop. And we don't treat people with respect. We treat people with disdain and with disgust. And that's what happens in society, a society that rejects God. The gap between rich and poor, the kind of celebrities, the high up, the, the, the ones actually who will often talk about poverty, but they're not poor themselves, and they look down with other people in disgust and disdain. That gap increases all the time, and people are treated like dirt. They're treated like trash. The opposite of that, of course, of that kind of insolence is respectful. You show respect to people, all people. It's not always easy, but you want people to show respect to you. You show respect because they're made in the image of God. And then uh, they're arrogant, and the opposite of that is humility. You know, I'm almost at the point, I'm sitting looking at my ballot paper when I'm going to vote, and I'm just thinking, the first politician who says, I got it wrong and I'm really sorry, I'm going to vote for you. Because, you know, I still haven't heard that. Arrogance. There's just an arrogance and a disdain. And then they're boastful. And I think the opposite of that is to speak graciously rather than boastfully. Then we have two words that are... um, or groups of words that are distinctive. 
They invent ways of doing evil. They obey God's ways of doing good. Um, I do a podcast pretty well every week for Solas, and each time I almost find myself saying, you're not going to believe this, but can we get any lower? Yes, we can. It'll keep going. We invent, we are so creative when it comes to doing evil. Think about it this way. I, I, now, this, this is just a thought that, that might be wrong, so you can correct me. Why is it that in most films, the bad guys are the most interesting characters? I mean, the good guys. Take um, Kevin Costner's Sheriff of Nottingham. Well, or Robin Hood, rather. Well, Costner is Robin Hood. He was just Costner, you know, going saving the world. Everything's going to be wonderful. But it's Alan Rickman as the Sheriff of Nottingham who's the most interesting character. And you almost want him to win because he's so bad and, and so on. And why do we have a fascination with the evil? You know, why do people rarely make films about someone who goes around and does good, but there'll be loads of films made by a mass murderer? Because there's something in evil that's fascinating and attractive that draws people. It repels people, but it draws people. And we can be incredibly creative in inventing ways of doing evil. And then they disobey their parents. I'd love to go into this one in so much more detail. But I think that in the 1960s, there was a general cancer that entered our society. It's there. It's always there. Paul had it here in Romans and so on. But it became, rather than the the abnormal in society, it became to be perceived as the normal. And what I mean is this. It was the rejection of any authority, and especially the authority of your parents. So the idea was you rebel. If you get people to rebel, you can get them to buy stuff. I think it was largely commercially driven, if not satanically driven. But it's, you know, you, you rebel. And now we end up in a situation where far too many parents are terrified to tell their children what to do and expect the schools to tell their children what to do and how to behave. But that shouldn't be the job of teachers. The job of teachers is not to be a parent. It's for parents, and, and it's for us to honor our parents as opposed to disobey them. And I can tell you this, the education system and society as a whole will not survive a society in which marriage and parenthood and the family are disintegrated. That is by far the number one cause of our social problems. And then there are four negatives. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They have no understanding. They have no fidelity. Faithless there doesn't mean they don't have faith in God. Faithless means they're not loyal. Isn't that a great thing about a real friend, someone who's really loyal to you? or loyalty in work, or loyalty for a football club. I mean, those days of, you know, you get the guys who come and say, you know, well, you know, my name's Ronaldo, and uh, I've always wanted to play for Dundee. And, you know, just, it's not the money. It's just the, I could buy the club with the change in my pocket, but it's just, I want, I want to be loyal to this club. We know that players are not like that. We know that managers are not like that. Not very many. Loyalty. Again, I think it's a very much changed quality. Um, in 1967, Celtic Football Club won the European Cup. Do you know that every single member of that team was born within 40 miles of each other? 
they were all working class guys from Glasgow and they were led by a former coal miner and he knew what loyalty was and they knew what loyalty was. I think it's sad we live in a culture that that would be inconceivable today. It's not saying that people from the west coast of Glasgow are somehow better than everybody else, but it was just they had this loyalty, they had this commitment. And, uh, you know, Jock Steen and others with their that, that loyalty of being down the mines and so on. There's something about you're loyal to your mates and you're loyal to your friends. Well, Paul says when you, when you take away belief in God, eventually that will disappear from society. They're faithless, they're heartless. Oh, they can talk about one heart and they can talk about this and talk about love. I'm almost inclined to think that the more people talk and sing about love, the less they know what it is. They want to see love in practice, love for real. And they're ruthless, they don't show mercy. They have no understanding. We need to understand. We need to be loyal, faithful. We need to show love. We need to show mercy. I think it's Stott who says this, that without brains, honor, love, or pity. And that, honestly, I think this description of these 21 things, we're not saying that in our society it's like that all the time. Thank the Lord that it's not. But it is heading that direction. And we can see all of these things. Now, what's interesting is if you go back to the beginning of this, it's suggesting that the cause of all this is idolatry, the rejection of God, or the acceptance of false religion. And there's an objection here, I think, that if if I was you and sitting here listening to this and being a thinking person, you might say, well, that's, wait a minute, that's not fair because that's not what I do. And are you kind of saying that only Christians are good and, you know, faithful and generous and so on. And I could, my non-Christian neighbors are, are generous and kind. And I tell you, I've seen some Christians and they're horrible. So let's just unpack that just a little bit. You go through this list, and I, I did this this morning. And I'm not going to tell you how many, but let's put it this way. I ticked more than 50% of this box. And that's me now as a Christian in a good mood. You know, the thing is, though, Paul's not just talking about the individuals. He's talking about the whole culture. And we could go down to the newsagents and we could get newspapers. And I will guarantee you, within any newspaper, you will find all 21 of these things in that newspaper today about our culture. And here's the thing. No matter who is elected on Thursday, they won't change it because they don't see it, because they're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. They don't see what is happening. In Paul's day in Rome, when he explains it, it was a society in which the majority were slaves, in which class structure was inflexible, in which there was infanticide, and in which the chief form of entertainment were gladiators killing one another. Well, in our culture... I think we live in a society where the majority of people, in a sense, are slaves. They're enslaved by their fears, enslaved by work, enslaved by different things. I think the class structure is as strong as ever in this culture. I really do. I think it's, it's deeply ingrained. We may not have infanticide, not yet, but we will. And the proposal to have abortion on demand up to birth, which people are actually making, what do you think that is? 
And it may not be infanticide, but the number of children who are growing up in this society without adequate parental care, it's equivalent. It's horrible the way so many of our children are being brought up. And that, you know, God bless the social workers and God bless the, the NHS staff who have to deal with that. We live in a culture where women are treated like dirt. And I'm sorry. I find it appalling that when I went to university in Edinburgh, I could walk across the meadows. And actually, a lot of my friends who were female could walk across the meadows in Edinburgh. You would be insane to do that now. Because there are far too many men who regard women as just sex objects to be used and abused at their pleasure. It's wrong. It's deeply wrong. And that's why we get upset about why people reject God, because it's the culture that it then brings in. You see, verse 32 makes it even stronger. It's not that they, they're sinning unwilling, unknowingly, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. When he's talking about death here, he's not saying about the death penalty. He's not saying if you disobey your parents, you're getting the death penalty. They know you deserve death. Or if you're greedy, you deserve the death penalty. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that this sin is such that it brings death into our lives. The wages of sin is death. It destroys, it kills. But he says they know this and they continue to do it. They are like the drug addict who knows that if they take that next shot of heroin, it could kill them and they'll do it. And we might look down on the drug addict, but every time you do something that you know is wrong, you're doing exactly the same thing, maybe even worse. We encourage people. They boast when they do evil, Proverbs 2.14, and they encourage others to do the same. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Can you sit and watch? The Graham Norton show or another chat show like that when some celebrity comes on and boasts about the harm and the evil that they've done to other people. And we laugh and say, isn't that entertaining? It shouldn't be. We're encouraging people. You know, you wouldn't... Yeah, it, we, we live in such a contradictory society because we say to children in school, now be nice to each other and, and you know, care for one another and love one another and so on. And then the examples they see in our culture are not about that. I'm amazed that people go on and on about how horrible Donald Trump is, and yet they love House of Cards, where the fictional American president there is 10 times worse. And they go, oh, what a great show. What a great guy. Why? They approve. They perversely continue to practice the very things they know that will bring judgment, and they egg others on to do exactly the same thing. So... Let me bring this all together just by concluding it and saying, well, what, where, where are we? Man has moved away from God, and God has moved away from man. We're in the far country. We're like the prodigal son who, when he went away, he found when he left his father, he didn't find himself living in the lap of luxury, having a great time, going out clubbing every night and enjoying himself. He found himself eating food amongst the pigs. And that's where our culture is going. We're not getting, you know... We're not getting back. We're not getting culture and joy and everything else. We're just getting this 
exploitation and people being cruelly used and the return of slavery in the form of sex slavery. And it is true that what Romans says, what Paul says here is the greater the distance from God, the greater the dislocation in human relationships. Because here's the thing, imagine you've come in here today and you're not a Christian and maybe your marriage is bust up and you've got problems with your parents and there's hassles at work. I'm not saying that if you become a Christian, all that gets sorted. But I'm saying that if you become a Christian, you get sorted. And that impacts and affects and changes every one of your relationships. That's why the Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why, and he had to come in somewhere, Calvin says, as they choose not to continue in the knowledge of God, which alone guides our minds to true wisdom, the Lord gave them a perverted mind which can choose nothing that is right. Now, what's the answer to this? Some people are going to say, fair enough. Maybe the analysis is correct, but the solution you offer seems to be, if you're religious, then everything will be better off. No. Because I think religion does do a great deal of harm, and I'm sorry. But those three men who attacked the people on London Bridge last night, on Westminster Bridge, they're motivated by many things, but they are also motivated by religion. It would be foolish to deny that. And there are, there are people who profess to be Christian who seem motivated by religion. And religion without God, religion without Christ, let me put it that way, religion without Christ, is one of the most evil things in this world. That's why the Bible says very little about atheism and a huge amount about religion that's false and wrong. So religion is not the answer and suddenly deciding, well, I'm, I, I, right now I believe in God and so I'm going to be good and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to do all these, the opposite of these 21 things, I'm going to do them. You can't, you can't do them. So are we stuck? Romans six twenty three. the wages of sin is death. And here's the bad news. You, I, we are sinners. We are are dead people walking. We stand under the condemnation of God and we live in a society which is not based on righteousness, which is based on sin. And no matter how you try and, you could be the cleverest politician in the world, the cleverest debater in the world, you are not going to get around that basic fact. So how do we deal with it? Because Romans 6 doesn't stop there. The wages of sin is, is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul has come into the Romans and he's saying to them, you're in a mess, Rome's in a mess, the Roman Empire's in a mess. You are, as religious people are in a mess, he'll go on to that in chapter two. And then he'll go on to say, and this is how Jesus Christ is the answer. And, and he goes into incredible depth about it. But that really is it, Romans six twenty three. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, what God is saying is, you've rejected me and you can't fix it. And you can't do anything I would ask you to do. But instead, I'm sending you my son. And he'll fix it. He'll fix you. And you go, no. Because you're proud. And you think, I can do a wee bit. I can do that. I can do that. And the whole message of Romans, by the time we get to Romans 9, it's going to be, you can't, you couldn't. God even had to choose you. You can't. 
We live in a society and a culture which having rejected God thinks we can. We can do it. We can make the society better. We can do this. We can do anything we want. No, we can't because we reject God. And because we reject God, we're handed over to all this kind of stuff. And God comes along and says, yes, but I'm giving you Jesus Christ, my son, to die for your sins. I'm giving you Jesus Christ so that every single one of these he carries, he pays for so that you can be forgiven and so that you can live in newness of life and so that you can say, no, I don't have to live in shameful lust. I don't have to watch internet pornography. I don't have to look down on other people. I don't have to exploit people. I don't have to gossip and to boast. I don't have to be insolent. I don't have to disobey. I don't have to ignore the needs of the poor. I don't have to be all about myself. I can live in God's world for Jesus, enjoying all these tremendous gifts that he has given because God has given us all things richly to enjoy because of Jesus. And here's the most astounding thing for me. And I I know this is painful and offensive, but if you are somebody who is choosing to live without God, if you are an atheist, I'm sorry, but you're living with a depraved mind. You may have some desires that are good. You may do some good things. You may have some very pleasant personal characteristics. But at the end of the day, if your way of thinking is not right, it's going to do so much harm to you and to those you love. When someone says, I'll live any way I want, what does that matter? Because no man is an island. And because everything that you do impacts and infects everyone around you. And that should be a motivation. You know, um, Aquinas, when he was talking about suicide, he said this, that the number one reason for not committing suicide, and he didn't say because it was a sin against God. He said because of the harm you do to the community around you. It's a very powerful argument. And when you come to know God and when you come to know Jesus It should give you a heart and a compassion for other people around you. So you're not going to do that because of the harm it will do and because of the dishonor it will bring on God's name and because of the hurt to other people. So rejecting God leads to what? It leads to the kind of society that we are becoming. And the only hope for our society is not the politicians. And it's not saying we're going to spend billions more on this and billions more on that. And it's not holding concerts The only hope for our society is that people come to believe and trust in Jesus. I'm not saying the politics is not important. I'm not saying all the other stuff is not important. It is, but I'm saying it's useless unless we see a spiritual renewal and revival in our culture. And I'll leave you just with this personal thought. I'm often asked, why don't you get involved in politics? You know, you'd be good at it and you do... And my answer is simply this, what I'm doing is more important for society than being involved in politics. I think Christians should be involved in politics, but for me, I get to teach God's word. That's what turns the world upside down, not politics. And that's what we need to recognize. You know what we're doing here is the most radical political act that will occur in this country this week. We're worshiping Jesus and proclaiming his word. That's what turns the world upside down. If you're not a Christian, please seek him and come to know him. And if you are a Christian, thank the Lord that he has rescued you from the domain and kingdom of darkness. Amen. We're going to sing.
a song of repentance, Psalm 51. Um, it's uh, a kind of paraphrase of it. Lord, you are rich in mercy and love beyond compare. And that's what the message of the gospel is, that God is rich in mercy to us rebel sinners. So we're going to stand and sing, and please remain standing for the benediction.